also welcome to the show. Today's episode is going to be a little discussion between myself and I on fasting. And I just want to go over um, what I find to be kind of the essence, the most essential things to kind of start with because I have a tendency to, I guess, want to cut the frou-frou off of things, meaning what's the actual, what, what, what are the principles, what is the mechanism, what's actually going on when we do these different things that said things, you know, they're supposed to have a benefit to, so there's all of these different things, and what are the mechanisms at play, and is there actually a pattern of shared mechanisms or shared principles that always show up um, in the context of any time we do something that is, that is, you know, for lack of a better word, healthy, what's, what's going on there. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what's going on under the hood with fasting um, and hopefully kind of not only debunk and simplify the way fasting works, but also kind of share the ways in which I then um, see any form of practice essentially kind of working um, on these same or similar principles. So instead of, you know, at the end of this podcast, I hope that instead of the listener being like, well, you know, what about, you know, being vegetarian or what about being keto or like, what about all these other like dietary health interventions? Um, my hope is that you have a better understanding of how all of these different dietary health interventions are actually useful to whatever degree that they are working at balancing what the cycles of feasting and fasting work at or work on. So the way I look at it is like, okay, fasting, fasting for dummies. And how can we turn dummies into masters of the universe via fasting? So our universe changes perpetually because of the internal flow of yin and yang energies. Our universe changes perpetually because of the um, rhythmic interchange of opposing forces. The very essence of these yin and yang opposing forces exchange in this um, cyclical alternation that then is mirrored in nature. So there's day and night as kind of the, um, the most obvious expression of these opposing energies, dark and light, yin and yang, positive and negative. So due to this alternating flow of energy um, in Taoism, they might call it due to this respiration of the heavens, 
living things can grow. So living things grow, can grow, and do grow because of this interchange of positive and negative. And so we start to then see how to understand nature um, is to understand our nature. And to understand our nature, we then obviously must understand nature and obviously, if you haven't, you know, gotten the the message thus far, nature. What is nature? Nature is the the stunning network of opposites that majestically <laughs> interweave the polarities of yin and yang in a infinite dance of perfection that is not replicable, repli- replicable, or matched by anything else in the known universe, right? Like, we really can't um, create something or fake something, synthesize something that can shake a stick at the majestic beauty of, like, the natural world. At least that's my opinion. So the mechanisms of, of this cycle... What what is in order? Um, this alternating energy flow of yin and yang that makes living things able to grow. What is what is um, this interchange? What are these two opposites? So the mechanism and application of this being utilized, worked with through the practice of fasting is as follows. So it's really fasting and feasting. Those are the two opposing forces. And in a fasting state, the the essence of a fasting state is is broken down, is breaking down. So that would be um, catabolic. In a fasting state, we are simulating a catabolic pathway, stimulating a catabolic pathway, and that catabolic pathway is known as autophagy, catabolic to break things down, autophagy being the process of, of breaking things down, but it's the recycling of of our cells. So autophagy is the process of cellular regeneration. In the absence of external sustenance, the body looks inward for sources of food. This results in the young slash healthy slash functional part of the cells eating and thus recycling the old senescent parts of the cells. So we are on a cellular level, um, cleaning up, you know, cleaning up the yard. We are raking the leaves and using the dead leaves to fertilize, to sustain, to actually fuel the new growth of the parts of the cells that are, you know, young and, and healthy enough that are, um, we're, we're wanting to strengthen, so each cell 
through this process becomes stronger. And overall, the body literally becomes younger via this swapping out of old cells in the process of those old cells then feeding the growth of the new cells. So we can stimulate autophagy, stimulate this catabolic pathway by fasting, either entirely or partially, reducing calories, reducing protein, as well as exercise. So this is just to say that fasting, um, we have these different ideas about, oh, like how long do I fast or what breaks my fast? And it's like, well, if you are, if you are fasting to some degree, whether, again, if it's entirely or partially, you're going to be stimulating autophagy. How much autophagy do you want to stimulate? Well, if you want to stimulate a lot of autophagy, you want to do a complete fast, um, you know, for like 36 hours. Like that'll be a very big stimulation of autophagy. But then you can also look at it of like, well, what's my timeline? Like, do I need to stimulate max autophagy like within the next 48 hours? Like otherwise something bad will happen. Like, well... No, you don't need to do that. So if you've got, you know, if you're thinking on a larger scale of like within each um, calendar year, if you do several 24-hour fasts or do a 24-hour fast every week, you know, that's going to be stimulating smaller amounts of autophagy more consistently and accumulatively more overall than if you do like a one five-day fast. So we can then start to kind of understand what we actually want to do, how we want to utilize this, because another option is to um, never actually fully fast, but just partially fast. And we can do that through, you know, eating a really small amount of calories and stimulate autophagy that way, as well as then exercising on top of that, you know. But we have to then keep in mind that the feasting part of the cycle is is of the utmost importance. So if we chronically, if we overstimulate this catabolic pathway of autophagy by fasting or partially fasting and being in a reduced calorie, reduced protein state where we're exercising a lot, that's going to be one of the factors to us becoming healthier on a cellular level. But if we do that chronically and never balance it out with then going into the opposite of that, we will start to experience um, setbacks. So now I'm going to talk about the mechanisms of um, feasting. What is the opposite of fasting? So obviously the opposite of fasting is feasting. What is a feasting state activating? So a, in, a, in a feasting state, we activate an anabolic pathway. So catabolic breaks things down, anabolic builds things up and the anabolic pathway 
when we're, when we're fasting, we're stimulating the catabolic pathway of autophagy. When we're feasting, we're stimulating, activating the anabolic pathway that is called mTOR. And mTOR stands for mechanistic target of rapamycin. <laughs> so you don't have to remember that, mTOR for short. Um, you don't even have to remember mTOR mTOR is just this pathway that stimulates growth. So mTOR, mechanistic target of arapamycin, it builds things up. And if we're in a state of constantly building things up, we actually will develop issues because we need this balance of toggling between night and day of anabolic and catabolic, of autophagy, cellular cleanup, and like internal restoration. We have to balance that within the anabolic pathway of mTOR where we then build new cells and, and new muscle fibers and new um, neural pathways. So mTOR, um, on kind of a scientific level, is the master growth regulator that senses and integrates diverse nutritional and environmental cues, including growth factors, energy levels, cellular stress, and amino acids. It couples these signals to the promotion of cellular growth by, um, here's a crazy word, phosphor, phosphorylating substrates that potentiate anabolic processes such as mRNA translation and lipid synthesis or um, limit catabolic processes such as autophagy. So what does that mean? It means mTOR, if mTOR is stimulated through nutritional and environmental cues, we are both turning on mTOR, which then inherently turns off autophagy. So do we create autophagy by stimulating autophagy, or do we create autophagy by actually turning off mTOR? It's like, well, it's the same thing. Anything that stimulates autophagy, what's actually going on, the reason autophagy gets activated is because we are suppressing mTOR. And the things that stimulate mTOR are eating lots of food, specifically carbohydrates. So to stimulate mTOR, we eat lots of carbs, increase overall calories, increase overall protein, and anabolic steroids are going to take that to a whole nother level. That's why anabolic steroids, anabolic, is a kind of chronic activator of mTOR, of this pathway that builds, that repairs, not through the repairing of the autophagy phase, but through the repairing and th through the building phase. So that's kind of, then we can use the analogy of like growing a garden where like autophagy or um, 
catabol- the catabolic pathway of autophagy is the process of tilling up our our garden and getting it um, getting it completely back to square one, getting it back to you know there's nothing growing. We're just getting the soil to be ready for something to grow. We're, you know, it's kind of the, the cleaning up phase. And then the growing phase is then, you know, we plant the seed and water it and sun shines on it and it grows. But if we didn't do that, if we just, if we skipped the, the catabolic autophagy phase and just tried to plant more seeds on top of more things that were already growing there without ever, you know, um, cleaning everything up and starting from scratch, things wouldn't actually grow very well because it just, that's not how it works. So in order for mTOR to be so potent and effective and, and um, good, we need to stimulate it basically after we stimulate the opposite of that. So fasting stimulates autophagy and suppresses mTOR. Feasting stimulates mTOR and suppresses autophagy. Too much time spent activating either pathway leads to an imbalance, leads to an issue. And so that's why, you know, taking anabolic steroids for long periods of time is really bad. And bodybuilders in general tend to have a lot of issues because they are, to an unnatural degree, stimulating their growth factor um, and th- the cells and their tissues never have time to actually take a break and thus recover and kind of rejuvenate and get back to square one. So that's why then with like monocropping or trying to produce high-yield produce um, in in the same soil over and over again obviously leads to depletion of the soil and issues. Um, so the magic then of fasting happens not because of autophagy, not because of mTOR, but happens in the interplay, in the balancing of these two opposites. You know, it's the yin and the yang, but in this case of fasting, to reduce it down to the two essential mechanisms, it's autophagy, which is catabolic, and mTOR, which is anabolic, and and the way that those two work together. So, you know, if you spend too much time in mTOR feasting, there's going to be issues. If you spend too much time in autophagy, there's going to be issues. So the way that fasting teaches us and evolves our relationship to nature and thus to our nature is through this inner investigation of these opposites um, that in this case are represented by autophagy, catabolic, and mTOR, anabolic. So um, now we are well on our way to mastering the universe, I think, because that's really that's really what all things are. With breathing, it's the inhale and the exhale. 
Um, and if we are breathing in a balanced way, then we are going to be healthy. If we are balancing, you know, the inhale and the exhale, the, the, what the metaphor is, if we're balancing mTOR and autophagy, there's going to be cellular health. There's going to be, there's not going to be a slow buildup of issues. So really quickly before I kind of go into some other benefits and mechanisms, principles of fasting, I just want to say that um, what was I going to say? Oh, so, you know, when is it appropriate to do like a longer fast? And we're so familiar with, you know, intermittent fasting and things such as that. And it's like, well, keto, whether it's keto, whether it's any extreme diet is a intervention, meaning that we have, we, we have a high level of, of issues <laughs> that have happened because we haven't actually been balancing these two things. And so when we haven't been balancing these two things, then we end up thinking, we end up needing and then thinking that some extreme thing is actually healthy when what's actually going on is we've been so chronically kind of in a state of mTOR being activated that on a cellular level, there's all of this debris, there's all of this, there's all of these old parts of the cell that are inhibiting our cellular communication. Like it, just because it's small and at a cellular level um, doesn't mean it's not important. It's actually the opposite. Like all of those cells, the state of the cell then um, propagates that cellular state to then influencing all of the other cells. So if we have a small, if we have several cells that are cancerous, that's going to spread. And if we have several cells that have actually gotten themselves sorted out and cleaned up and, and actually like eaten any precancerous um, components, then the cells around those cells, instead of also becoming cancerous, they actually mirror that, that new, fresh, regenerated cell. So we can go into ketosis for months at a time and experience all of these benefits and then we can think oh this is this is the ideal way to live because I have so much mental clarity I feel so good I have so much energy and for most people what ends up happening is that you then end up finding balance because you were so out of balance to begin with so you do this extreme thing to then get yourself more towards balance but once you're back in balance you then have to rebalance these two things and not think that more um, of, of one is better because each aspect is only healthy, is only <coughs> good in or to whatever degree that it's actually balanced with its opposite. So... 
this is what happens a lot with um, vegetarians, vegans, too, just as much with um, keto, is that you experience a lot of like cleansing because you're eating you know, lighter foods. And if you're not having reactions to all of the plant um, toxins and, you know, there's all kinds of things in plants that um, are there to deter um, animals such as humans from eating them. So if you handle plants well, you can be vegan and that can be that can take you on the road towards balancing. But again, just like with keto, once you've balanced it out, you have to then rebalance those two opposing things. Otherwise, you then start to get out of balance in the opposite direction. So, you know, in a lot of ways, that's common sense. But I don't know if it is common sense because according to a lot of the different doctors, you know, just the the platforms of, like, the, the diet wars and, like, everybody's still being so unsure about, like, what's actually good and what's bad and and trying to be like, well, this food's good and this food's bad. It's like, well, it, no food is inherently good or bad. Certain foods that are incredibly poisonous are actually medicinal if, you know, applied in t- with the right dosage in the right situation. So anything that is good can be good, and anything that's bad can also be good if it's used in a way that helps this process of balancing out these two opposing things. So another thing that fasting um, activates is this pathway called AMP-K. And AMP-K is short for... um, nicotamide adenine dinucleotide all right nicotinamide (laughs) adenine dinucleotide um oh no that's actually i just completely botched that that's what nad is amp k is activated protein kinase Again, you don't have to know any of this. This is like super nerdy, boring shit. AMP-K is a pathway that stands for activated protein kinase. And NAD is a thing that stands for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. So why is this relevant? Well, AMP-K, on getting super intellectual about it, is a cellular energy sensor. AMP-K which is activated protein kinase, is activated in response to a variety of conditions that deplete cellular energy levels, such as nutrient starvation, especially glucose, hypoxia, and exposure to toxins that inhibit the mitochondrial respiratory chain complex. So what does this mean? Well, it means that AMP-K, we is a is a cellular energy sensor. So if we're having energy issues, AMP-K is not functioning very well. So how do we stimulate AMP-K? Well, the best way to stimulate AMP-K is to actually 
um, fast or exercise. And as we age, AMPK decreases. So we have less cellular energy as we age because of AMPK as we age grows less responsive and and kind of stops working as well. So a young person, their AMPK is totally crushing it and they can eat all kinds of garbage and just do whatever they want. They don't even need to, you know, worry about their energy levels because they're young. But as we get older, this becomes a problem. And so we can keep ourselves young and vibrant and energetic by stimulating AMPK. And so, again, to stimulate AMPK is, um, is, is to deplete cellular energy. So that's an interesting thing because in order to actually optimize cellular energy and thus overall energy, we do that by stimulating AMPK. And to stimulate AMPK, we actually want to intentionally take ourselves into an energy-depleted state. Because then Amp K is like, oh shit, like shit's fucked up. I gotta really step in and help my person out. And so then we get a big activation of Amp K. And so NAD and Amp K work together in the sense that they are, um, they are similar. They both decline with age, and so by fasting and by exercise, we stimulate the production and the optimization of both AMPK and NAD. So NAD, um, nicotinamide iodine dinucleotide, is a coenzyme central to metabolism. It's found in all living cells, NAD is called dinucleotide because it consists of two nucleotides joining through their phosphate groups. One nucleotide contains an adenine nucleobase, and the other um, contains a nicotinamide. So, yeah. Um, That goes in one ear and out the other. But again, it's not really that important. What to me is important is understanding this this natural lever of to actually facilitate a improvement of energy. We do that by depleting the energy by essentially you know, activating the hermetic stress, hermetic stress being like good stress because it it stresses our body in a way that then jump starts these different pathways that without our cellular energy communication slowly gets less and less effective. Um so during fasting, several pathways are activated. To kind of to recap, autophagy and mTOR, which we've covered, AMPK, and NAD. So AMPK 
being another important pathway, AMK is the master energy sensor to the cell, detecting alterations in ATP, aka cellular energy levels, in response to a decrease in cellular ATP, AMK activates downstream pathways to support mitochondrial function and enhance energy production. So that's just another way of reiterating that in response to a decrease in ATP, AMPK activates downstream pathways that support mitochondrial function and enhance energy production. Um, so this includes one of the downstream pathways is NAD. Um, and NAD, again, declines with age, but it is critical for energy production and mitochondrial health and repair. And some of you may know that like NAD is really popular to take it in a in like an IV form. You can get an NAD infusions, um, which apparently are really painful for some reason um, or really uncomfortable. It's not a pleasant experience, but obviously it makes you feel really good for like the next couple of weeks but we can do that we can we can do our own version of NAD um, IV therapy by simply having a solid lifestyle that successfully balances feasting and fasting all right so as AMPK controls so many beneficial downstream pathways, it is regarded by scientists such as Professor David Sinclair as a key longevity pathway. However, activation of AMPK declines with age, so fasting and exercise are great methods to ensure AMPK activation to support your cellular health. So, yeah. Reiterated for the umpteenth time. So let's talk a little bit about fasting and exercise. Um, fasting and exercise stimulate a lot of the same pathways. So fasting, if you could take a exercise pill, you can. It's, it's actually, instead of taking an exercise pill to get the benefits of exercise, if you fast, you are getting the benefits of exercise. Um, while being completely sedentary. So both fasting and exercise cause a hermetic stress, good stress, which results in our cells bouncing back even stronger than before. This bouncing back stronger than before involves actual strength gains in regards to lean muscle mass being built and maintained as well as the cellular respiration being optimized, meaning that our energy production and utilization of that energy production on a cellular level is optimized. So let's just keep going. Essentially, all illness and disease stem from cellular dysfunction, right? So it's like, why, why are we so obsessed with autophagy cellular cleanup and, and like working at a cellular level? So all illness and disease stem from cellular dysfunction which arises primarily due to um, toxin 
buildup um, in the form of exposure to environmental toxins. So I don't know when I wrote that, but that's true. And we'll get into those different toxins in a second. But the other thing that prevents um, cellular health and promotes cellular dysfunction is improper balancing of feasting and fasting, which again, it doesn't mean you're like fasting for five days and then like eating a bunch of ice cream. It means you are living your life in a way that is balancing these two opposing things, which, you know, through a Taoist lens could be distilled into night and day, sun and moon. On a cellular cellular level, that process is anabolic versus catabolic. We have to have a proper balance of our body having time to go into the catabolic phase to do cellular cleanup and to recycle the old parts of the cells to feed and strengthen the newer, younger cells. And then we need to, after we do that, then we have to go into the anabolic phase and actually build um, on top of that freshly kind of renovated foundation of our cells being sorted out. So mold, pesticides like glyphosate, hormone endocrine disruptors that are in plastics and most soaps and detergents and things like mercury exposure via, you know, fillings in our teeth and then also a lot of mercury, a lot of contact solution um, tests positive for having amounts, trace amounts or amounts of mercury. So if we are exposed to the, those kinds of toxins, our cellular health, our, you know, AMPK pathway, all of that stuff um, starts to have a really hard time because we're actually, um, our body's trying to sort itself out in this environment of actually having toxic buildup that is preventing our cellular functions from functioning optimally. So, you know, obviously mold, different levels of mold, black mold being really bad, and pesticides, different pesticides being bad with glyphosate being kind of the worst. Um, but then processed food in general, especially combined with a sedentary lifestyle, which a sedentary lifestyle to me it doesn't necessarily mean you're just always lying down, it means you're you're disconnected from nature. Because if you're connected to nature, you're connected to this daily um, re-energizing and cellular kind of energy cycle. And so if you find yourself being really lethargic and having a very sedentary lifestyle, you're going, it's, it's this endless cycle of um, not having energy, so then you're not active, um, and so then you don't deplete your cellular energy, which then um, supports AMPK declining, and so you just kind of, things get worse and worse. As opposed to, you know, I think that if you live a life that's connected to the cycles of nature, you're going to naturally balance 
being active, with being um, passive, with relaxing. Like we, you know, we need to be sedentary to to sleep, and we need you know breaks throughout the day to be less active. So again, the the balancing act of fasting with feasting, um, anabolic with catabolic, is the same balancing act that we also have to balance with being active and like exercising or working and being out in the world. We have to balance that with resting and and the opposite of that. So, um, so the molds and the pesticides and all of the hormone endocrine disruptors in plastics and things, and then also in processed foods. And, um, you know, just living disconnected from nature in general. These things cause premature cellular dysfunction. Because we're, we we're all going to die. We're all going to have our cells slowly become less and less functional. And so then we're all going to eventually have some form of illness or disease because illness and disease arising out of cellular, cellular dysfunction. But the reason, um, you know, so many young people and just so many people in general in the modern world have so many um, diseases and health issues is because of all of these factors that I've been talking about not being properly balanced or stimulated or regulated and so we start to develop things like type 2 diabetes and, you know, cancer rates go up and dementia is skyrocketing and all of these things. It's like, what, what are they? What is the cure? The cure is to um, properly balance fasting with feasting in the way that fasting and feasting properly balance and stimulate and optimize the cycles of the cell needing to recycle and regenerate within kind of the opposite of that. So I'm kind of beating a dead horse, but um, I'm wanting to just kind of paint this picture Um, because to me it's really liberating to realize that I don't have to worry about um, getting cancer necessarily, as long as I really prioritize doing th- this these practices in a way that optimize and balance my cell, cell, cellular health. And on that note of cancer, there's a doctor out of Boston that just wrote a paper saying that um, one seven-day water fast a year decreases your chance of cancer by 95%. So that's pretty cool. Um, and again, it's like, well, well, on the surface, it's like, well, that's cool, but like, how does it do that? Or how can I achieve, you know, a 95% reduction in my chances of getting cancer by doing something else be say I'd, I you know you read that and it's like oh I, I, w- I want to decrease my chances of getting cancer by 95% but I don't know if I can fast for 7 days once a year 
And then that's like, well, you don't have to necessarily fast for seven days once a year because, for example, if you dry fasted, you could do um, three days. A three-day dry fast is kind of the equivalent of a seven-day water fast. Um, And then it's like, well, obviously I'm not wanting to do something more extreme than a seven-day water fast by doing a three-day dry fast. I'm wanting to have the same results by doing something a little less extreme. So the answer to that is, well, do a 24-hour fast once a week, and over the course of your life, you'll probably you'll probably be fine. You'll probably be good because that's really, really um, potent. And obviously, at the end of the year, you're going to have more time in a fasted state to then balance it with the, going into the feasting state afterwards than if you do one seven-day water fast. But that's kind of the thing is if you start with a 24-hour fast once a week, then you're going to naturally, I mean, if you're like me, but I think a lot of people are like this, you then get curious about like, well, you know, if I can do, if I've mastered this 24-hour fast, then I'm going to do a 48-hour fast a couple times a year. Or even then you do a 24-hour fast once a week, and then you start swapping in a 48-hour fast once a month. And then you end up doing a five-day fast once a year or maybe a five-day fast twice a year. Um, But again, it's not... I think a lot of people get stumped by feeling like, oh, in order to achieve these things, I have to do this thing I really don't want to do. But it's kind of the thing of like if you're if you have a sedentary lifestyle and you're hard on yourself being like I need to exercise that's kind of you're motivating yourself out of this feeling of what I'm currently doing is not okay and I'm lazy or whatever and I need to like motivate myself I need discipline I need to be more like this other person that is more active as opposed to if we just get in touch with nature and that connects us to our nature we then start to kind of jumpstart this cellular energy production um, that then we feel good, we feel better, and then we start to actually do these things that previously felt really hard because we actually want to do them because we have the energy to do them and we have the incentive um, because having energy to do things feels good. So I think the last thing I'll say for now is that, well, I guess three three things. One, the first topic is inherited toxic load. The second thing I want to talk about is stem cells. And the third thing I want to talk about is detoxing. So to start with inherited toxic load, you know, some people live their life feeling pretty good, doing pretty good, and other people have all these issues. And we actually inherit toxicity from our parents, but obviously specifically from our mother, but interestingly enough, specifically from mother to daughter. So 
I have inherited a certain level of toxic load <laughs> from my mother. But if I was if I was born a woman, um, I would have more, and that has to do with the um, reproduction, reproductive qualities of a female and how the, um, you know, like a, a woman has all of her eggs in her, um, from the get go. So it's connected to that. And I'm not, you know, that's kind of all I'll say, cause I don't really know about that stuff, but for the purpose of this little infomercial, I just want to say that because um, people come into the world with different levels of toxic load, and so then some people have a lot of issues right out of the gate um, because of that, and other people maybe don't have as intense of a time right out of the gate, but they but they still struggle in specific ways until they actually are able to work through that, those toxins and detox those things. And then they start to do a lot better. Um, and then other people don't actively detox. Um, and so they inherit a certain load that's kind of um, normal enough to not really be super apparent. And then they live their life kind of accumulating more toxins. And so then by the time they get a little bit older, then they start to have issues because they've been building up toxins on top of this moderate amount of toxic load that they actually inherited. So this is why a lot of different traditions like Ayurveda and stuff really emphasize the necessity for both the father and mother, but especially the mother to really get healthy and to go through a whole um, prep process before um, conceiving a child. So you can obviously look more into all that stuff on your own if you're interested. The next topic is stem cells. So stem cells, what are stem cells? Stem cells are the body's raw materials. They are cells from which all other cells with specialized functions are generated. Under the right conditions, i.e. fasting um, in the body or a laboratory, stem cells divide to form more cells called daughter cells. So longer fasts tap into pathways beyond the pathways that we've talked about. And one of those pathways is the pathway that takes you to stem cell town. So longer fasts start to produce stem cells. And stem cells are obviously really important and to kind of tie it together to the um, anabolic versus catabolic autophagy and mTOR, the balancing of that. It's like we create we create production of stem cells through going into the catabolic state because we are depleting ourselves and resting our digestion and all of the energy 
that goes into digesting then can go into this autophagy, this cellular cleanup. And um, not only are we cleaning up the cells, but we're actually building our cells back stronger, not only because of the fact that the cells that are getting cleaned eat the parts of the cells that are old and thus making those cells stronger, but we also get cellularly younger and stronger via the production of stem cells that are created. And then when we go into fasting, sorry, when we go into the feasting state and activate the anabolic um, pathway that is mTOR, mechanistic target of arapamycin, then that's when these raw building blocks, the body's raw materials, which are the stem cells, then basically get um, put into play in wherever the body thinks they're the most needed. So, you know, if you have... um, if you have an organ that's that is not up to snuff, if you do an extended fast, you create all these stem cells, and then when you break the fast, your body knows how to send those stem cells to whichever organ is the most compromised, and it gets regenerated. So obviously we can do NAD therapy, we can do stem cell therapy, we can do all of these different therapies to stimulate these pathways, but they're all expensive um, and we don't actually learn about our nature through just getting a treatment in the same way that we learn about our nature when we actually learn how to activate and stimulate and balance these pathways through our own means, a.k.a., you know, learning how to fast. So here's a little breakdown. You know, max autophagy, after 32 hours, we've kind of gotten into max autophagy. Um, And so that doesn't mean we shouldn't go longer. That just means that at 32 hours, autophagy has fully begun, and then for every hour after 32, we're then going to continue to be in a super autophagy activated state. So um, this list that I'm going to read from now is kind of going over the different things that happen at each level of fasting, 32 hours, um, 48 hours, 72 hours, Five days, which is 120 hours, and so all of all of the things that happen on a shorter fast happen on a longer fast. But the longer you go, the more things start to compound and activate. So, max autophagy, 32 hours, um, but autophagy actually really starts at 17 hours. So if you just do a 24-hour fast once a week, you're getting a ton of autophagy, but really deep autophagy um, starts a little bit longer in, a.k.a. at 32 hours. So then 48 hours, you know, we've, we've got max autophagy still happening, and we've got stem cells happening in our gut, so we are repairing our mucosal lining um, and remedying leaky gut, and we're also, our gut is in a state of 
um, the bacteria and the microbiome are getting a little bit um, blunted because we're not feeding all of those microbes, which is good because there's a lot of microbes and bacteria that are not the good or best um, microbes or bacteria. So by fasting incrementally throughout the year, we can kind of keep our microbiome healthy by um, never getting into any issues like candida or things such as that because we are um, fasting frequently enough to keep the different aspects of our gut from getting too prolific. Um, so again, it's kind of like the garden analogy of like you want you want a certain level of die-off, you want a certain level of time spent in this phase of tilling up the soil and you know letting it rest before then you plant the things that you want to plant. Because obviously if you plant a bunch of good gut bacteria in a gut that is full of a bunch of bad bacteria, then they're competing with one another and it's, it makes a lot more sense to actually fast kill off some of your gut bacteria, or at least weaken your gut bacteria. Um, so then when you refeed it with the good gut bacteria, you that good gut bacteria has a better chance of actually proliferating and, um, you know, helping you out. So 48-hour fast, then all that stuff happens that I just said. But then we also get into dopamine receptor reset. So if you're feeling depressed, um, fasting for two days, 48 hours, will really give you a new lease on life because your dopamine receptors get reset. Um, and that's a whole other thing that I won't get into in terms of dopamine and the receptors. So then we keep going and we get to 72 hours, which um, we've you know, we're still in max autophagy. We've reset our dopamine receptors. We're having a, you know, fair amount of detox going on. And by that point, 72 hours, our immune system cells have actually been completely regenerated. So our immune system is been revamped. It's brand new, um, young, fresh, and ready for action. So then we keep going, and into five days, we then get um, stem cell activation, max stem cell activation, and human growth hormone increases 300%. So that's one of the things, you know, you don't lose muscle, lean muscle mass when you're fasting because you get all the, you get all the stem cells and you get a 300% increase in human growth hormone. So um, you're actually your body actually knows how to heal and also to protect the things that that it doesn't want to break down. Obviously, if you go too long, you'll eventually, your body will have no other choice but to start to break down your muscle. But um, that's, not, that's not the point. And even if you want to do that or end up doing that, muscle is really easy to grow back, especially if you know how to fast. So the last thing I want to talk about is just detoxing. And essentially, detoxing is the primary thing that happens when we fast because obviously autophagy being the thing that happens and that being a form of detoxing. But um, 
more than that, when we fast, we give our system a break from putting all of its energy into digesting, which is like 70% of our energy um, goes into the digestive process. So if we're fasting, we're giving our body a break from you know spending most of its energy on the process of digesting food, and that allows us to actually really process and digest and excrete and work through the different things that we need to get out of our system. So that's obviously known or labeled as detoxing. And this happens on a cellular level in terms of, you know, heavy metals and, and detoxing from toxins, but it also is happening on a emotional, psychological level in terms of working through the different fears that we have and the different beliefs that we have that are no longer serving us. And so it's a detoxing of kind of a mind-body-soul degree. Um, and the main thing I want to highlight about detoxing is that the symptoms of detoxing are the symptoms of being sick. So when we get sick, we're actually, our body's actually, it's not sick, it's trying to detox something. And so animals, all animals apart from humans, when they're sick, aka needing to detox something, they actually they actually fast, but humans are the only animal in the animal kingdom that actually choose to continue to eat food while having symptoms of illness. Um, so that's really interesting. And this is kind of the way I look at it is when you're sick, you don't really want to take medications and things to suppress your symptoms unless you have to, you know, if you have to get something done, if you have to go to work and you're not um, contagious or whatever, then, you know, you can take something to help with that. But normally, or generally speaking, if you are sick, you need to just let yourself rest fast and go through all of those symptoms fully because those symptoms are detox symptoms. Um, and when we fast, we can feel sick um, because we are activating the same process of detoxing. So I think this is really important because a lot of people that try fasting, they don't feel well, so then they want to stop. And it's like, well, that's kind of the point. Um, and th then that's also, it's really important, though, that you don't, if you, if you have a lot of things to detox and you start fasting and you get really sick, then you maybe need to back off and and find a way to fax, fast in a less intensive way to kind of build up to then having the ability to fast for a longer period of time. Because there's always going to be little symptoms of detoxing, but for a lot of people, they're, they're so toxic. And again, it's not toxic not being this like negative thing, like, well, you're so toxic. It's like we all have stuff that we haven't yet worked through or excreted or pooped out, whatever. And so when we fast, our body then puts all of its energy into that process. And so if you've never fasted before, and you've never saunaed before, and you're not someone that exercises or sweats very often, and your breathing is kind of short and shallow, and you eat a lot of processed foods, then you're going to go to fast, and chances are, nine times out of ten, you're going to get a really bad headache, 
um, and start having all of these detox symptoms like nausea or headache, diarrhea, sweating, skin rashes, um, you know, really bad breath, um, all that stuff. And so then to just know that that doesn't mean you don't know what you're doing. It means, oh, this is actually working incredibly effectively. And um, if it's unbearable or if it's too severe of a detox and you don't have, you know, someone to help you through that, then you should break your fast and, you know, do a 24-hour fast once a week for a couple months before trying to go deeper. Or, you know, you just have to, you really have to um, scale it to work for you. And the better you get at fasting, meaning what that means is the more detoxified you become, the better at fasting you become because you can fast for a couple days without really skipping a beat because you're just letting your system rest. And so, you know, maybe you like have diarrhea and have a slight headache, but apart from that, then the headache goes away and you feel great. Um, So that means you're good at fasting because you don't have a whole lot to detox as opposed to, again, beating a dead horse here. But if it's really intense, it means, well, you know, instead of doing a 24-hour fast once a week, start with a couple days a week, you do a 17-hour fast um, and start using a sauna three times a week, you know, and and try to sweat every day um, just by, like, walking vigorously or, you know, kind of making it up as you go, finding out what works for you. So um, the last thing I'll say is that I think that all of this stuff is really useful, especially in the modern day, because I think we all have these assumptions or these ideas of, you know, I don't want to get sick, I don't want to not feel my best, and so then any diet or any activity that doesn't just give us positive results, we then think, oh, it's not working, and how fasting Um, through practicing it, but also through getting more of an understanding about how it actually works, we then start to understand, oh, in order to feel better, I'm probably going to have to feel worse. It's going to get worse before it gets better. In order for me to detox and, you know, recover from candida, I'm going to have to do some combination of therapies, whether it's fasting and saunaing or colonics and saunaing or or just not fasting but changing my diet in a way that kind of sucks, whatever, um, it's going to be uncomfortable because with candida specifically, you know, you're feeding, you're craving and wanting to eat everything that the candida actually wants to eat. So you have these cravings because it's, but it's not you that's craving it, it's the candida that's craving it. So you have to have kind of the trust in your ability to, to just wait and stop feeding it. And it's kind of like, you know, with any illness, it's like how how badly do you want to have it rectified? And if you want it to happen very quickly, if you want to be through it very quickly, then you can choose to do the most intense version of healing, um, which just so happens to be dry fasting, um, so for example, you could do a 40 day, if you have candida and you're just like, I want to get rid of the candida, I'll do whatever it takes. It's like, okay, well, 
do like a 20 day water fast. Um, and maybe that'll, you know, that'll get rid of it. And if it's still there, then okay, well, um, maybe you should have done a 40 day water fast. And this sounds crazy. Um, but alternatively, you could just do an 11 day dry fast, which obviously sounds super crazy. But the point I'm trying to make is that we're not limited. We are only limited in the way that in order to actually fully heal, in order to actually kind of tap into our limitless potential requires um, kind of a gnarly buy-in, meaning that healing is constantly trying to take place in our body. And if we fully let our bodies take over and heal, we can heal anything. But the way that actually looks is we have to do something that is a little intense. Um, but obviously, just taking a pill um, is not an option. And kind of my closing little spiel on this is that even if taking a pill were an option, I don't think, we, we don't actually want that option because even if we could physically heal through some external protocol that just required us like getting sedated and then somebody like doing a surgery on us, we come out of that um, in a sense healed, but we don't actually have a deeper understanding of ourselves or how that injury um, got there. And so chances are we're going we're gonna to just end up back there again because we didn't actually learn um, because we, we kind of just took a pill and it was like, oh, great, you know, as opposed to fasting to me is the quintessential example of this is like you heal to the degree that you know how to heal, meaning to the degree that you know how to trust your body's ability to heal, you heal. And because we all have varying degrees of capacity to trust our body's ability to heal, the way that actually plays out is we slowly learn to trust our body over time by learning how to fast for longer and longer. And so by the time we actually get to the length of fast that we needed to fully heal whatever was going on, not only have we healed what's going on, but we actually have mentally learned and intuitively learned, like every level of our being has learned what healing actually requires. So then not only do we not get sick again, if we do get sick again, we'll know how to heal it, but chances are we don't actually get a disease again after going through that process because we're we've learned what it takes to heal and so then we have this natural built-in kind of awareness to live in a way that's that's balanced in this way that then prevents us from actually ever having to do something super extreme in order to heal because we prevent ourselves and everything from getting to the point that disease then manifests from. So um, to me, this all started to really click when I got into dry fasting. And I'll, I just want to end on this kind of couple profound statements around dry fasting that I've learned. One being that um, the Russian doctors say that no disease, whether it's a brain tumor, um, you know, nothing can 
can survive in us um, beyond a 11-day dry fast. So if we don't eat or drink anything for 11 days, whatever illness we have will be gone because the illness cannot survive an 11-day dry fast. And there's obviously um, some illnesses can like blood cancer, for example. So here's another one that blew my mind. This doctor that had blood cancer, he employed this dry fasting method where you um, you dry fast for a day and then you rehydrate and eat for a day. Then you dry fast for two days and then you eat and rehydrate for two days. And then you dry fast for three days and then you eat and rehydrate for three days, and then you dry fast for four days, and you go, you do that all the way up into, into I think, five or seven days, and then, you, you know, you climb that ladder of alternating up to five or seven days, I can't remember off the top of my head, and then you repeat, you start over, and um, this guy with blood cancer did that for an entire year, and that's what it took to completely heal his blood cancer, um, but that's to me that's just such a kind of inspiring testament to like it's really um up to us like do we want to heal and if so are we willing to do what it takes because if so we can heal um and then the last one i'll say is that you know the 7 day water fast once a year decreases chances of cancer by 95% 1 to 2 day one to two seven-day dry fasts a year extends life um, 15 to 25 years. So, you know, just interesting. And I'll make a part two on probably at some point to get into what makes dry fasting so crazy. Um, it's so interesting and so potent because it's actually it's actually a pure fast. You kind of think of water fasting as like you're actually on a water-only diet. Dry fasting is is a real fast, and it's more effective not only at healing you, but also at um, preserving your lean muscle. Like it's actually, your body actually does better dry fasting than it does water fasting. Um, the only catch is that you detox so effectively that you have to really work your way up, meaning that water fasting is way more accessible and a better place to start. Dry fasting is more advanced and, um, you know, most people don't really have any incentive to ever do a dry fast unless they have a, a really intense disease that's potentially going to you know be the end of their life so then they're willing to essentially emulate a form of dying through dry fasting um, for the sake of then being able to, to continue on living um, so yeah more to come